Hello, this is Dr. Carol Francis, and I am eager to help those individuals who wish to do astral projection, remote viewing, or shamanic journeying in a fashion that helps them feel safe. Uh, for many individuals to be able to do astral projection, remote viewing, or shamanic journeying, or any sort of soul journeying process, there's no sense of feeling unsafe whatsoever because they maintain a sense of being in charge of their destiny and therefore also in charge of their soul journeying process. But there are those individuals that do experience issues that do feel unsafe or frightening when it comes to these type of soul journeying experiences. And I want to lay a groundwork for a large portion of you. There'll be individuals that have safety issues that are beyond the scope of what I'm going to discuss. So the bottom line attitude that you need to take toward this process, if safety issues or fear issues are associated to your inability or your awkwardness or in the actual event of traveling outside your body and finding something that's frightening, the basic bottom line is to always respect your sensibilities. And if you are frightened, you immediately come back or you do not engage in the process until you work through whatever is frightening you. And working that through is on so many different levels, it's really actually quite complicated for me to even describe in this generic sort of format. But let me just mention a few things. Number one, if you had had out-of-body experiences at a younger age associated to trauma, such as being sexually raped or molested or robbed, or in a surgical situation where you actually had a near-death experience that was quite frightening for you, then of course near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, astral projection, remote viewing, shamanic journey, or otherwise known as soul journey, is going to represent to you fear. You will find that your attachment to your physical body is going to be kind of an anchor of safety and that, for example, you really don't want to swim because when you swam into the out-of-body experience, you feared kind of dying or a, a type of drowning. If we were to take the metaphor of swimming, those individuals that can swim but become afraid of it or those individuals that cannot swim and do not want to learn because they're afraid uh, they may drown or be unable to swim. Those individuals that might have been dunked or uh, frightened by something in the water when they swam and they just avoid the whole experience entirely, that would, that would be a metaphor for individuals that do not want to engage in out-of-body sorts of traveling because it doesn't feel good to you. So bottom line, respect that you don't want to do it. It isn't your thing. Um, or if it is something you do want to do, then you do need to work through those fears. Just like if someone is an avid swimmer, but suddenly, suddenly becomes very frightened of swimming, they need to move their way back into swimming. And the way each individual moves back into swimming is varied. It's as varied as many to as many personalities as would approach the issue of fear. So therefore, in the following moments, I want you to really respect your own individual, your own idiosyncratic needs to work something through, your fears through, uh, your concerns through, and to maybe take the generic information that I give you to help you with those very specific personalized concerns uh, that it might further your ability to do out-of-body or soul journeying processes and that these may actually address your fears. But again, bottom line, respect while you're, why you are afraid and also respect why you want to do soul journeying and then see how you can converge the two as you work through both your fears and also perhaps take baby steps into the water, so to speak, uh, the water of soul journeying. And the class on November 21st, 2015, 
called a soul journey feast or spiritual journey feast. It's being offered through the School of Multidimensional Healing Arts and Sciences in Irvine, California. It's going to be 33 different baby steps that move individuals deeper and deeper into the ability to do soul journey. And baby steps often leap an individual into profound experiences. So know that this is a process and don't feel like you suddenly have to do everything with a great deal of bravery. Again, the metaphor is stepping into the water with your toes and then up to your knees is really no different than actually doing the very same thing with soul journeying too. All right. Well, we're going to talk about Joe, which by the way could stand for Joseph or Josephine. And then we're going to talk about Sam, which by the way could stand for Samuel or Samantha. And then we'll talk about Taylor, who could be a male or a female. And the reason I'm doing this generic talk is that while I work with so many individuals on these sorts of things, I am not going to refer to any one person because I am extremely, extremely protective of people's privacy. So if you've spoken with me and you go, uh-oh, look, she's talking about me. The truth is I'm actually talking generically, and that's why we're going to use the names. If I happen to say he or she, it's just a form of communication. I am not identifying anybody with whom I have spoken. It's just not fair to anybody. Everybody has a right to privacy, and of course, since I'm a clinical psychologist in the field, when I'm working as a psychotherapist, everything's private, um, um, barring those few federal and state law situations. So, in the same way, I just like to keep everybody's privacy for this as well. But I do want you to realize that the experiences you have a fear are shared with others as well. And so, Joe, Sam, and Taylor are going to be the human metaphors for packaging fears. Okay, let's talk about Joe first. Joe, Josephine, or Joseph. Uh, basically is just afraid of the whole process of going out of body because they've gone out of body at a younger age where they were traumatized again either by being raped molested terrified in a situation where they were out of control in a human physical form and went out of body as a way of coping with the trauma and then associates the out-of-body process with that trauma so if Joe and if you do have a history like this you want to very much respect that when you went out of body, it was a wonderful mechanism of your brain and your spirit, your soul, your personality, your psychology, your psyche, to be able to move you and disengage you as much as you possibly could be disengaged from the physical trauma so that you would be able to survive the moment emotionally. It's a way of muting the event to your conscious presence while your body is experiencing the absolute outrage and horror and terror of the uh, horrible trauma that you went through. So you want to understand yourself and your history along those lines that it could be that the trauma in your past is still connected and therefore it's that trauma in the past on one way or another needs to either be circumvented or worked through directly. In other words, you can either walk around it, maybe that'll work for you, or walk through it, which means resolve it and work a go on. Discover the you that exists way beyond that trauma moment or those trauma moments so that you can go ahead and enjoy the you that exists that's way outside of those trauma moments as well, including soul journey. Um, so therefore, note that a nightmare-ish type experience that leads to out-of-body moments can make people perpetually afraid for no rational reason of ever engaging in soul journeys again. And that would be the story of Joe.
Now we'll talk a little bit more about how to deal with your fears in a moment, but just kind of identify if Joe is kind of your template. Right. Let's go on to Sam, who's otherwise Samuel or Samantha. Sam or Samantha have already done Soul Journey, maybe quite a few Soul Journeys, and Sam and Samantha, or Samuel, Sam is averse in the experience of doing Soul Journeys, but may have had some interestingly terrifying moments uh, that are, are more similar to the way a shaman travels into the dark spaces of the ethernet or of the other worlds. The shamans will often go into what they call the underworld, um, the netherworld uh, that represents a place where the dark forces have taken hold of a soul and then they'll retrieve that soul from those realms and move that part of the soul back into the human being's experience in the present tense where the shaman retrieves soul retrievals or helps to heal a person a person from the harms and ills that have been caused by the infiltration of the netherworld or the evils uh, that have surrounded that person from the past and then try to bring back the soul, retrieve it, heal it, and then reinstitute a healed version of that person's soul. So in the shamanic world, traveling to very frightening places is kind of a given. Uh, it's also important to know that many individuals who travel do soul journeying by way of uh, the assistance of altering mind-altering drugs, ayahuasca, um, DMT, so forth and so on, that, that these individuals are actually engaged in the biochemistry of their brain and that there have been some very terrifying experiences individuals have had, even though they also simultaneously say that it was fascinating, amazing, wonderful, life-changing, and in many cases, even encountering the kind of devilish entities proved to be quite moving and moving and evolving where they faced their fears and walked back from them or they understood the netherlands and were able to incorporate the lessons associated to that so if you like sam in this situation have encountered what feel like the evil forces or the evil energies of the netherworld or the ethernet or of the astral world then you're going to need to uh, do different things for yourself if you no longer want to be afraid as you travel the soul journey process. So what I'm going to suggest in this section of the discussion is also relevant to everybody that does astral projection, remote viewing, shamanic journey, or out-of-body exercises. Um, the first thing to do, and we can turn this into a meditation, is you do want to, before you go into a state of meditation or an altered self-hypnotic state, which is usually the two avenues individuals use to consciously travel out of their body, but there are many others as well, is you want to create an environment of safety. That environment of safety involves both the place in which you are going to travel from, where your body is located. You want to make sure it's very sacred, very clean space, very peaceful and very uninterrupted. You don't want there to be an experience of trauma to your physical body while you're journeying out as much as you can possibly control that. So make sure the physical space of your physical body before you engage in the premeditation aspects of out-of-body experiences is as safe, as peaceful, as medicinally clean and clear, as emotionally and psychologically clean and clear as possible. And that's why people do saging, they do ceremonies, they do the four-corner prayers, and they also have the white light of protection. And one of the things that I like from the whole realm of the Yeti 
if I'm saying that correctly, is where they actually do the cleaning of the aura. They, they create an egg of white light, and that egg of white light entirely surrounds your entire body. Another form of meditation I find extremely helpful is the Merkaba meditations. The Merkaba meditations were really set to be able to do every day um, for like a few minutes, six minutes or so, types of meditations where you were increasing your uh, Merkaba field, which is a very beautiful, sacred, sacred geometry field uh, that surrounds you, that is in you, and that is inside you, and to be able to create the ability to energetically summons that, to be in that, to be conscious of that is also like a protective geometric shield around you. It's, it's a realm. It's very similar to the Wicca drawing the pentacle on the ground. So in other words, you need to do what you need to do to create a physical and emotional and psychic space that's clean and safe and protective, a shield around you. Now, I think that it is also important for you to come to terms with how involved you become in the dramas of others and how much drama in your own personal life is there. So let's talk about psychological safety. Um, because for Sam, this is very important, and for Joe as well, because Joe had psychological unsafe experiences associated to OBEs, and Sam may still have some residual experience of their psychological ill health. So, for example, some individuals that do out-of-body experiences or remote viewing or psychic readings or things of that sort, they believe and experience, and enough people do this, I'm not really an advocate of the following, but I am also real clear in my experience is not everybody's experience, so I want to pass this on to you. Um, that what is necessary is for them to feel like they are using these tools of soul journey in a way that is beneficial as opposed to selfish. So a way of doing that is to immerse yourself in the conscious pattern of someone named Tom Moore, who's on one of my radio shows, Tom Moore, who talks about what's called the most benevolent outcome. He calls it the MVO and has written a book on it. And please do check that radio show out on Dr. Carol Francis Talk Radio or Blog Talk Radio, Dr. Carol Francis. So you can see Tom Moore and, and, and learn more about his book, his idea. But I'll summarize it here because I think it's a psychological truism that if we are walking in our heart chakra, in our love, then we have integrated our thoughts, our psychic abilities, and our personal powers, our sexual energies, our grounded energies, and our spiritual energies with the heart center of wanting everybody's most benevolent outcome, even if we don't know what that is, even if we're confused or, 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 or slanted in our perception as to what it is, if we kind of sent out to the entire cosmos that we yield ourselves to what will be the most benevolent outcome for everybody involved, so that we're centered in a kind of a unification consciousness to the best of the all, the best of the cosmos, the best of source, the best of God, the best so that all the angels and entities that we might greet, all the human beings we might encounter, all the lower world uh, individuals or entities that we might also run, run, go up against, we carry with us this very powerful shield. And I think it's a huge shield that protects every part of you physically, mentally, psychologically, spiritually. The shield is, I come only 
with the intention of the most benevolent outcome. And I think that that is a very powerful shield that pretty much makes evils and malintents and self-centered emotional intents uh, at bay. And they're there, but they are at bay. This is not too dissimilar to the psychological health of those individuals who decide that they will not engage in inappropriate dramas that other people would like to loop them into in their physical relationships and also will not engage in the emotional and psychic or psyche type emotional uh, mental soulful dramas of those that have uh, anything less but the most benevolent outcome type consciousness. I find that this works for me and probably is the reason why I don't encounter um, the Netherlands or evil spirits uh, firsthand. And because it is uh, a consciousness every single day, and especially as a psychologist, to not wear the dramas or wear the evils of those individuals with whom I meet every single moment of my day. But instead, be aware, but do not wear them. To be able to see them is not the same as absorb them. To be able to care about them and have empathy for the complications associated to dramas or evils or malintents or pains of another person is very different than wearing them to the point of them being owned by me. In my field of clinical psychology, we learn what's called the as-if. And the as-if in the Carl Rogerian form of empathic counseling allows a therapist to feel deeply, but always to remember that it doesn't belong to you. And then also helps because then whatever way you feel is not converted into thinking that's exactly what a patient or a client feels because it is not. It's disrespectful of another individual to think that I know what they're going through just because I have something similar in my life or because I have some empathic experience because that, what that person's going through is uniquely designed to fit that person or uniquely associated to a very unique past. So I will use the power of empathy and connection and wisdom to understand another individual as much as possible, but always allow the room for knowing that their experience is uniquely theirs and I must listen with compassion and discernment and wisdom and the awareness that what they've gone through is not mine, it is theirs and I'm there to help them with their situation. That type of attitude is the same thing you want to do with out-of-body experiences. If you're going to encounter entities, spirits, other humans, um, other aliens so to speak, they all have their different packages that they've brought to the moment that they encounter you with. And there's really no need for you to decide that you have to take on their issues or that you have to respond to their drama or that you have to uh, get immersed in their negativity or the evil. And you don't. And so the more you learn to do this in your human life with relationships where you can care but not be immersed, it also translates into the soul journey process where you do not have to engage any Thing at all in their negative energy, you can move beyond it. Which brings me to the next uh, realization is that you must, before you go into a meditative state or hypnotic state while you're cleaning your environment, might remind yourself that at any given point in time, 
you are actually bilocated. You are in your body and your consciousness exists within your body and you are also doing soul journeying. You're not actually leaving your body entirely. You're always connected. But your primary consciousness may not be with your body. Your primary, your soul link may not be with your body, but you are nonetheless there as well. So think of it as more in terms of bilocation as opposed to you are no longer located in your body, which I'll address a little bit more in a moment. But the benefit of that is for you to realize that at any given second, millisecond, nanosecond, you do not want to be where you are. You merely have to say, I don't want to be here. And you, and tell yourself where you want to go. I want to go to a nicer, better place. I want to meet people that are, meet people and entities that are better. I want to go to this. You be in charge of your location at any second, including coming back to your physical body. And one of the things that we do with these types of soul journey process is to practice going out, coming in, going out, coming in, going out, coming in. And in fact, the more we go out, the farther we go, and then we come back. And that gives you that really beautiful connection with your physical body self and your ability to summon yourself back, as well as to venture farther away. And it's not any different than an infant who's about 18 months to three years old who goes away from mom and then looks back and then runs back to mom to make sure mom's there or makes sure dad's there or the safe person's there and then goes and ventures away and then comes back quickly. Either comes back by way of a look or gesture or a sound. And often you'll see a mom talking to a child as it ventures away and that sound becomes the tether and the silver cord that people talk about experiencing when they're doing astral projection becomes the tether to the safer what is perceived to be the safer anchor of your physical body. So that is another thing you want to practice while you're engaged, is going out and coming back, going out and coming back. Or as soon as you encounter something that's not comfortable, you immediately say, excuse me, I'm leaving. You don't even have to say, excuse me, I'm gone. I do not want this. I'm going elsewhere. You are not to ever feel powerless in the presence of another power because you are supremely powerful. And the source of your power exists in the all and the all is as powerful as you summons it to be and maybe that other entity has a lot of power but you are not the least bit less in your power not the least not even for a moment are you the least in, in your power and that is yet another thing you want to remember now Let's talk a bit about when you do encounter evils or what appears to be something very frightening to you. Uh, if something's very frightening to you, you can leave. You don't need to experience it or to even focus or encounter it. You just walk around it, come back to your body, tell it to go away. If it persists, uh, it may be because you're engaged in some way. And you might consider the following, but it's not necessary. But please just consider the following. You might want to say, well, you are frightening me. I don't know why you're frightening me. And just the very nature of creating a dialogue and asking for clarity and an answer reduces their sense of being frightening to you because now you're kind of pursuing them, which is immediately you exerting your power to understand and know. And you're asking them for clarity. And if they're not evil but are somehow frightening nonetheless, they will engage in a clarifying dialogue. And that clarifying dialogue with you is, well, this is the reason I'm doing this. This is what's going on. This is where you're at. This is what the process is. And you can have a type of dialogue. Now, you have to have developed the ability to dialogue. And one of the ways you develop the ability to dialogue is to establish connections with spirit guides. And these spirit guides, I do recommend, are either in the shamanic world, um, benign and beautiful insects, uh, animals, 
uh, benign and beautiful animals, benign and beautiful uh, angels and spirit guides, uh, higher power sorts of things. Uh, I, I really don't want to limit you at all, but your, your spirit guides, and that spirit guide can be a divine teacher like Christ. It can be a, a divine angel like a Metatron or Michael or Raphael. Uh, it can be God, him, herself. You know, it's like, it doesn't matter who your guide is, but you can go into the, the dialogue with anyone knowing that you're kind of holding the hand of an additional source for you, which is your spirit guide. And if your spirit guide is one you trust and know and have developed a good communication with, they can also engage in the dialogue as well. You can actually talk to the spirit guide and say, hey, look at this, look at this dark force here, what feels like a dark force, what's going on? And, and you can, that way you are, in a sense, creating behind the shield, kind of get smart 86 shield that goes around you and your spirit guide while you know that there's this dark force out there so that now you're being educated. Maybe that's the whole point is that you can be educated about those dark forces. I know that when I experienced helping my mother travel from one life, this life, to her next life, um, there appeared to be this kind of strange bridge that we crossed together. And this is very typical in shamanic journey, um, helping of an individual to pass from one life to the next. Um, uh, and underneath that bridge were some very, very painful, dark, pained, horrific images and personifications and energies um, and that that was really nice to be able to walk across that with my mom and my spirit guides and really nice that I had done this so many times that it wasn't frightening it was like oh th oh this is where we're at here we are it also helped that I had a ton of reading and literature and training by other teachers about this domain and that might have affected both one my imaginings and my perceptions of it but it also I accessed my cognitive my spiritual my experience my spirit guide my mother's spirit guide the intention and purpose of moving her across it was very important we did not stop and dawdle and this was important to move her across we were not going to engage or wait or even travel down into that realm or just we were just going to get across and that there was a bridge to get across was the point <laughs> so get across take the bridge there's no reason to like, oh, here we are, let's go play here. If you feel like the plane, wherever the here is, is really not the most benevolent outcome for anybody involved. Uh, it wasn't like we were going to go down there and save anybody. That was not the intent of the travel. Um, so there we go. It's, it's, it's a, another example of what you do in those type of circumstances. So again, if we go back that you're encountering an entity that you don't like, you can leave immediately. You can come back to your physical form immediately. You can go to another domain immediately. There's no hesitation. Do not engage in the sense of, I have no power here, I'm being overtaken, because that is an illusion, especially when you're traveling in the soul form. So don't engage in that. You can feel it, and you can feel that that's what you're being led to believe on, a, on, a, on an emotional, psychological, and soulful level. But you can also know that that's an illusion and a lie, because that's not the case. And it's important to know when you're being lied to. If someone wants to have power over you, they will lie that you are powerless. And it, when, when you engage in believing that you're powerless to change something, not necessarily them, but change your situation, your safety, once you believe that they're right, that you're powerless, You've lost, so don't ever say, you're right, I'm powerless, 
unless it saves you in the moment, because that would be like paradoxical reverse psychology. So go ahead and use that to get out, but the point is that you're using that tool to get out, and you want to always remember, I can get out. Um, if you come back into the physical form and you've had these experiences and you don't really know how to surmount the complications, then this is a time you can seek a human guidance or you can seek uh, more reading and understanding through other forms of communication. And it may be that you have engaged in something that's been excessively selfish and not in yours or others' most benevolent outcome. It may be that you're revisiting old fears. It may be that you have to clean out the space that's involved. It may be that someone else has to travel on your behalf to clean out that entity or needs to dialogue with that entity so as to understand what maybe that message is. And it may be that that message coming from the entity is there to frighten you in order to warn you off of a certain path, but not necessarily to scare you away. Um, and But maybe the entity knows no other way to get through to you but by way of communicating a, a big danger sign. Go away, go away. I'm going to frighten you. I'm going to hurt you. And... That becomes a metaphor, a psychological way of saying detour, don't come this way. And you're not going to necessarily know why you've been told to do a detour, but you might respect the message nonetheless. And then as you progress in your studies of yourself and the spirit realm, then, then you might understand better why you were told to stay off that path. It kind of brings me to this next caveat of things. You have to remember that in the spiritual development, we it's such an ethereal, abstract experience that we do not know. I really need to repeat this, sadly so, but we do not know what's reality and what is our imagination. If we have been able to have what I call a verification experience, then we don't know if we're not engaged in our own imaginings or if we're engaged in actually being able to see, feel, experience, and be present in an alternate reality. So we proceed once we're experimenting with these sorts of states with our, the use of our imagination, because that's a form, that's a, that's, a, that's a tool, it's a very broad-based, mini-sensory level tool that we use that helps us be able to travel. But conversely, the tool of imagination can also mean that we're an extremely creative a creature that can create what doesn't exist. So if we've created something frightening, that, that creation has come from our psyche somewhere, and we have to go back into our own psychology, again, our own history, again, our own fear system, uh, the, the way we ward ourselves off or the way we limit ourselves or keep ourselves powerless, that it's possible we've created this entity out of our own fear structure. And it's that fear structure we need to return to, to work, rework, and to regroom. And that allows us as human beings living in a physical form to continue to advance our psychological health, to evolve ourselves as both a physical, psychological being and also as a soulful being. So take those opportunities when you do encounter something frightening as also a possible opportunity to examine your own world of imagination. And that world of imagination again comes from history, comes from self-limiting thoughts, comes from what you were taught to be afraid of, that limited you or kept you safe in the past. It really provides you an opportunity to think about the paradigm of fear and powerlessness and limits that you have created that have kept you safe heretofore, uh, and that you are bringing those same li limiting safety valve components of your personality into your soul journeying process. And once again, that comes back to creating a safe environment by being a healthy individual. 
I do have to because I am a psychologist and because this is uh, relevant, that those individuals that have a history of psychological schizophrenia or psychological paranoia of any sort, whether it's through depression or whether it's through manic depression or whether it's through um, the biochemistry of schizophrenia or a bad LSD trip or some other alter, uh, mind-altering experience that was only because of the neurological pathways and the neurochemical pathways in your brain being converted so you had schizophrenic hallucinations or delusions or paranoid uh, hallucinations or delusions, you have to realize that you have set up a process inside of you that's on a neurological basis in your physical body that's engaged your imaginative world that's associated to your psychology and that you would take that imaginative world, that psychology and that neurochemical process that you've moved into and if you take that package into doing soul journey you might very well have a very skewed experience of what soul journeying is about and that just has to be called out because there's a very big difference between someone who sees things when they're not in a schizophrenic state of mind whether temporary or chronic are not in a paranoid state, state of mind, whether it's acute, temporary, or chronic, long-term, that when they're not in a schizophrenic or paranoid position, the soul journeying process is very different than for those individuals who are either thinking that they're doing soul journeying, but they're really having a, a schizophrenic, psychotic, uh, a paranoid, um, a neurochemical process going on, or they try to do soul journeying and they have this type of schizophrenic, psychotic, paranoid experience. So you have to be very honest with yourself, like, gee, do I have history of this? And therefore, is that being brought to the table of me trying to learn how to do soul journeying? In which case, you do run a different type of jeopardy because your physical body, your neurochemistry, and your history, your psychology, your psychological history, are going to bring a very different set of equipment to any sort of soul journey and exercises. Now there are times in our society where an individual is completely sane, no psychotic processes, no schizophrenic processes, no paranoid processes that are neurochemically based or emotionally uh, based in their history and yet they can sound schizophrenic and psychotic and paranoid because of the type of very intense experiences they're having that are based in alternate realities uh, associated to the shamanic way of looking at the world or the soul journey way of looking at the world. So this is a hard thing to differentiate. And if you're trying to go on this path yourself, you need to be really honest with yourself so that you can clear your path to have, once again, the most benevolent outcome for yourself and others. You do not want to trip out in a way that's not loving and respectful and full of the urge to evolve and emerge to your next higher way of being. Okay, so so far we've talked about um, Joe uh, who's had trauma and brought that to the table of out-of-body experiences and we've talked about Sam who's confronted some really nasty processes. Now let's talk about Taylor and Taylor is just basically afraid and and is afraid that once they slip out of their body that their body is going to be infiltrated by demon possession and entity possession or that when they slip out they will be able to come back or that um, that they're not having experiences without a body so and that they're afraid they're just going to be a failure 
So on this level, Taylor has a normal set of fears. <laughs> They're all normal. Fears, in a sense, are all normal human experiences anyway. So we're not, there's no shame, no embarrassment. This is just all part of just being human and part of being experimental enough to wonder if you can have expansive human experiences as a soulful individual. So Taylor, who could be male or female, right, because this is the metaphor, Taylor will be best served by practicing out-of-body type experiences, whether it's remote viewing, which is a cognitive, mental, sensory-oriented way of traveling out of your physical time-space, physical body, and being able to see with all of your senses and cognitive processes into another location of time and space. So that remote viewing process is actually less impactful and less frightening for most people, not all, because it's interesting to see the, the, the history of this, but for most people because they feel that they are still very present with their physical body to some degree and they're not traveling necessarily with their soul but with their cognitive processes that are associated to their sensory package that goes to another domain, time-space domain. So remote viewing is actually the easiest one to start with on some level. It's the one that provides the most amount of scientific verification, which is a wonderful experience to have. Um, and there, the, the official remote viewing is filled with protocol and parameters and study and practice. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, very uh, intense discipline. And the way I teach remote viewing is really just stepping into the water of cognitive and sensory package traveling and experiencing time-space traveling that's very uh, not, uh, not very dissimilar to astral projection but at the same time is not necessarily um, as it's comprehensive in some respects so that's often a safer place for Taylor type individuals to start and in fact that's one of the places I really enjoyed starting with because I'm a very cognitive scientific based individual and that provide me a lot of structure and scientific ways of, of approaching these sorts of things. So the tailors in the world, you might consider that. That's why I teach these three things together. And please come join us November 21st in Irvine. And uh, you can get a lot more information. It's the School of Multidimensional Healing Arts and Sciences, November 21st, 2015. If you're listening to this afterward, there'll be many other seminars afterwards as well since I'm going around the nation giving this class. Um, but I teach these three together because of this very thing that the tailors in the world experience. And join us. It starts at 2, goes till 6, and then there are other healing and uh, readings afterwards until 8. So it's a comprehensive workshop, and the workshop itself is only $35. I can't even imagine anything that inexpensive these days. But there you go. Okay, so back to this process that Taylor is going through. Let's take the next step. If the tailors step out of the body, let's say their toe first, which literally a form of astral projection is taught moving out of your toes, your feet, your legs, and then back in, and then up higher to your hips and back in, and then up to your torso and then back in, and then through your neck and 
and then up through your, your crown chakra, so forth and so on. So that it's kind of this progressive way of feeling yourself to moving out of your body and then into your body, never completely disengaging. And then taking baby steps of traveling. And this will be one of the ways that I teach people to astral project is like these baby steps of traveling away from your body and then coming back. Secondly, for the tailors of the world, many individuals, I only on two occasions have experienced this, but many people, when they do astral projection, they're very mindful of what's called the silver core. And in essence, it's like the umbilical core that connects your soul to your body. I think this is a beautiful way that keeps people feeling very tethered to themselves, so therefore they're reminded that they can instantaneously come back to your body. But there's no danger in that. But it's always nice to have that consciousness. Okay, I may feel like I can't, but I can. And I have had many experiences where I will suddenly engage in the environment around me because I have my full sensory package with me in this place where I've gone to. And I've had to remind myself, oh, you know, my physical body is completely not in this moment. So it's safe. But nonetheless, my sensory package, my six senses or my 360 senses, which we will talk about more in the class, um, they are all traveling with me, or many of them are traveling with me, but I, my body is completely safe. And so that ability to know that I'm biolocating is extremely helpful and helps the tailors to go, okay, you know, this is completely manageable. I'm in two places. My body is safe. I'm not going to die. And that's an important step because people fear that they are, that this is a facsimile of death. Now, my understanding is that the Robert Monroe, uh, Institute is actually doing a wonderful job of trying to create near-death-like experiences where there's not death involved so that a person can feel like they're going into the afterlife or in another life and then be back into their wonderful, healthy, and alive body. So it'll be very interesting to see the research on this that comes out of that over the next few years. Uh, so I encourage you to look as well. But what is associated to that is the recognition that your physical body is fine. And another thing that can help the tailors of the world is that when they're beginning to engage in this astral uh, projection, they can very quickly have someone else present in the physical form holding the field. And that is exactly what we're going to do November 21st. So we're going to have eight practitioners holding the field while people do the travels. And that is a way of just knowing that someone's there to wake your body up and move and groom you back into the safe, wonderful place of your physical body. And so, provided your body is in a wonderful, safe place to be. So, it, it, that can be another way that the tailors of the world can feel like they're moving into the safety and interesting and remote viewing. It is taught in a class cluster so that people have each other to debrief with and each other to bring each other back if they feel like they've gone really, really deep. And people often, since I do hypnotherapy, will say, is there any risk that I won't come back? And the answer is no. You know, unless your body is ready to die, like you're going to have a heart attack, you know, God forbid, you will come back. If your body's ready to die, there's nothing that any of us can do to stop that from happening. And it's not even relevant whether or not you're hypnotized or astral traveling. I mean, that's not relevant. Your physical body has its own process, its own timing, and there's nothing that any of us can do. It's not relevant to astral projection or hypnosis or any of the things that's of that sort. Your physical death is not related to um, you traveling. That's a very, very separate question, even though people experience that. And it may actually be because we have so much reincarnation type history of what it's like to leave our body, see our body, and then travel to the light or travel to the beyond. 
because that's a very powerful out-of-body experience as well. I have a wonderful interview with Erica, also on my radio show, and she did travel in a near-death experience, and her book is just absolutely very clear and wonderful, as are many, many, many hundreds, thousands of near-death experiencers now that do talk about this powerful experience of traveling out of body and being so completely present with who they are. So that it's, um, for people who have done that in a near-death experience, that's a very powerful experience, and yet they have no real fear of the death process itself. Okay, so that's the death process, which everybody kind of, the, the everybody we now are calling Taylor actually goes into to some degree or another. Um, the, the other thing that people do always ask is, what do I do if I meet someone I don't like, which is the Samuel question or the Samantha question. So we kind of dealt with that already as well. And I think that at this point in time, we will just stop here with you now on a cognitive level, having been carefully informed of some ways to manage your fear and some ways to manage your questions associated to astral projection, remote viewing, shamanic journey, or other out-of-body type exercises. Come join us again, November 21st, 2015, in Irvine, California, at the School of Multidimensional Healing Arts and Sciences. It's on the internet, and you're welcome to pre-register. In fact, that would be preferable, so we know who's coming. And it's only $35. And if you're listening to this after that event, I'll be doing this again at Blissful in Rancho Palos Verdes on December 10th, I believe it is. It's the first or the second week, a Saturday in December. And also again in February at the International Hypnosis Federation Conference. That's also interestingly in Rancho Palos Verdes at a beautiful, beautiful retreat center. And I'll be doing it there as well. And other dates will be forthcoming. But right now, that's what's set up on the calendar that I can tell you about for sure now. You're welcome to give me a call or also do sessions with me on Skype or one-on-one as well. All of it's much more expensive, as you can tell. But (laughs) that aside, because that's part of the human reality of energy exchange. But hopefully this free uh, opportunity to listen to this particular aspect of these types of wonderful out-of-body experiences will help you on your next step. Stay tuned to the next opportunity to have this discussion. Oh, in addition, I do have an interview with Dr. Steve G. Jones, who has a wonderful series on astral projection that for some people is the perfect way to travel and Dr. Steve G. Jones, I have a wonderful interview with him also on my radio show and with John Herlowski and Mike Rogalski, who are both remote viewers. And both of those separate interviews are also on my radio show called Dr. Carol Francis Talk Radio or easier to find as blogtalkradio.com, Dr. Carol Francis. I really look forward to interfacing with you and you can do so through the website spiritualjourneytools.com and also Spiritual Journey Tools on Twitter, Spiritual Journey Tools on a website, as well as drcarolfrancis.com and drcarolfrancis at gmail.com and the doctors just simply dr. Well, all that stuff aside just to help you have the right materials to move forward. 
have an absolutely fabulous day. And remember, you're so much more than just a small little you. Oh my gosh, so much more. So go experiment with your big, big, wonderful self. So my wish for you for a most benevolent outcome. Namaste. Take care.